Warning, some things in our podcast may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Viewer's discretion is advised. And also, we can't pronounce anything. Hi guys, welcome to Cults and Crime, a true crime podcast where we cover cults, crime, and everything in between. I'm Jamie. And I'm Nicole. This week, we're bringing you guys a brand new true crime episode. Nicole, what case are we covering this week? All right, Jamie, so I'm covering Nicholas Barclay. And I could not be more excited. I'm waiting for you to change my mind, so let's get into it. On the evening of June 1994 in San Antonio, Texas, Nicholas had played several rounds of basketball with his friends at a local park, which was just about a mile from his home. And the whole reason for him leaving his house in the first place due to the fight that he'd gotten with his mom. So I'm going to start off with this. By all accounts, Nicholas was rambunctious. What do you mean rambunctious? Um, so at the age of 13, he had a pretty large criminal record. Um, this included stealing, threatening his teachers, and a lot of times police would actually get called to the home where he'd be physically violent with his own mother. Oh, oh my gosh, that's not great. That's not great at all. Do you know if he was in some sort of counseling program at all? Um, no. Nicholas and his mother got into arguments all the time about his behavior, and tonight was no different. During the fight, Nicholas had actually stormed out of the house, slamming the door shut. Then, he chose to meet up with his friends at the park to blow off some much-needed steam. After the games had all ended, Nicholas had called his home phone to ask his mother for a ride. But, instead of his mother answering, his older brother did instead. He had told her that his mother was asleep and that she would not give him a ride, which was pretty normal. His mother had worked nights, so she had often slept during the day. Well, yeah, you have to do anything you do to help provide for your children, especially if one of them's having problems in school. Exactly. So, he had asked his older brother for a ride as well, and his older brother had said that he was unable to give him a ride in his current state, which I can go into later detail about his current state. Well, I thought the older brother wasn't old enough to drive. He was. Did he have a license? He had a license, and he was more than able to drive. Um, at this point, Nicholas had hung up the phone, and after a couple hours without hearing from him, the brother had awoken the mom and grew really concerned. They called police, but unfortunately, they assumed Nicholas was a runaway. Did he also have a history of running away, or was this just, you know, police in that A and age thinking everyone's a runaway? Well, yes. So, Nicholas sometimes, after a really heated argument with his mom or brother, would leave. He would be gone for a day, and sometimes even two, but he'd always come back. Did they ever find out where he was going during that time? Like, who he was staying with? Um, a lot of times he'd stay at friends' houses. Sometimes he'd even stay, like, at parks if he had to. But Nicholas had a really important court case the very next day. One he would not want to miss. So, if Nicholas had missed this court date, he was going to be sentenced to a boys' home for troubled youth. And if he didn't want to go there, he would have to show up to court. But, the police had seen the court case and the multiple runaways as a sign he was just trying to skip out on potential punishment. Months following his disappearance, police were called to the home of Nicholas several times. Always because there was a fight. 
between the mother Beverly and the son Jason, and these fights would often get violent. That sounds like something that was really commonplace in that household, unfortunately. Yeah, and there was several drug accusations thrown from one another at the time. And I can say, in hindsight's 2020, there was a massive substance abuse issue in that house between the mom and the brother. But three months after his disappearance, the police had received a phone call from Jason himself, Nicholas's brother. He had called the police to tell him that he knows that Nicholas is home and safe. He had just witnessed him attempting to break into their home, but then ran away. Well, then he's not home and safe then. If he was home and safe, he'd be in the home and he'd be safe, not run off somewhere. Well, the police decided to do a full search of the area. All around the house, they decided to talk to neighbors and searching their backyards as well, but there wasn't a single trace of Nicholas. There was not a single sign of any uh, attempted break-in or anybody being in the house except for Jason and his mother. Well, you said there was drug use. You think maybe one of them had a trip and saw things? I don't know what type of drugs they were using, but there's a lot of drugs that you know make you see stuff. So police started to think that the whole thing was just a giant waste of time, but was it an accident or was someone going out of their way to make sure that Nicholas was okay? Or make people think that Nicholas was okay. But Jamie, this is when things start getting pretty crazy. This is when things get crazy? Three years later, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in Virginia had received a phone call. This phone call was from someone in La Marias, Spain. Claiming to be a young boy, and she showed up and his name was Nicholas. The boy had went on to say he was kidnapped and then thrown into a violent and perverted world of sex trafficking rings. While he was there, he was being tortured daily and sexually abused. But he had finally escaped and he wanted to go home. The Center for Missing and Exploited Children had sent over a missing child's photo to the authorities in Spain to see if the boy matched Nicholas's description. And they confirmed the boy sitting before them was in fact Nicholas Barclay. They were over the moon excited that Nicholas was coming home. The family got together and they chose to send Clara, who's Nicholas's older sister, to fly to Spain to get Nicholas and bring him home. Well, why not his mother or the brother who's been seeing him around town? So, Nicholas's mother was falling into some severe health issues and she couldn't make the trip. So his brother Jason, I guess, had flat out said he didn't want to go. So Carrie... On a trip to Spain? Who doesn't want to go to Spain? On a trip to Spain to go get your long-lost brother. Yeah, that seems like... That, to me, really seems weird. That's weird to me. But I I like to travel, so maybe that's just me. Well, it's not even about the traveling, Jamie. It's literally... Like, this is your brother, who you haven't seen in three years, and you probably presumed is dead. Maybe he's afraid of flying? He flat out said, I don't want to go. Maybe he's afraid of flying. Maybe he's never flew before. That's pretty common. Maybe. I don't know. It just seems a little fishy to me. Yeah, it's definitely not something that seems... Like, I hate to judge people who have lost someone or have someone that's missing. But I feel like if I had a family member that was missing and I had any glimmer of hope, I would be flying across the country at a moment's notice. Me too. So, 
Carrie, his eldest sister, jumped on a plane and traveled all the way to Spain. She Why was... is this the first time we're hearing about Carrie? So, Where was she during the, all of this? So, Jason and Nicholas's mom, and as well as Nicholas, all lived under the same home. Carrie wasn't living with them at the time. So she really isn't a part of this story other than going to pick up the son. I guess that would explain why she wouldn't be in any of the police records as far as before this. Yeah, she really wasn't on the radar. But Carrie was so excited to be reunited with her brother. And I'm sure all of us had like so many questions because I did too when I heard about this. One being like, how did he end up a thousand miles away from home? If you're being, I get it, because if you're being sex trafficked, you generally want to get them out of the country, especially if you're getting them in America, because it's easier to go with that kind of stuff in other like, countries. But you would think it'd be countries like Canada or Mexico, not flying them all the way to Europe or taking a boat all the way to Europe. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, well, you have a million questions. Like, I have a million questions. But when she saw Nicholas, she couldn't believe her eyes. She was so excited. She'd immediately grabbed onto him and held him. And it seemed like no time has passed between the two, even though it had been three years. Nicholas was now 16 years old. They gave Nicholas an American passport, and he'd flown home to read out the rest of his loving family. Once he returned to Texas, the reunion with his family was odd, to say the least. Odd how? Well... The other agencies in the FBI were involved in the case and actually not that uncommon with children to go missing and turn up later, sometimes in other countries, but police wanted to pump out any information they could about the abductor and the sex trafficking ring. Well, that makes sense. If there's a sex trafficking ring, that means there's possibly hundreds or thousands of children at risk. You want to get those people off the streets. Oh yeah, you want to help everybody else that's still in it. But Carrie, Nicholas's sister had really disregarded police. And when Nicholas was finally reunited with his mother, it was a little awkward as well. I guess there's not really any one way to introduce yourself to your son or brother that's been missing for three years. You know, especially knowing he went through something so traumatic. So Jamie, I'll send you a photo of Nicholas's mother when she saw Nicholas and you tell me what you notice. Okay, one moment, let me go get that message open. Okay, so there's two people on the photo. There's a man and a woman. The woman's, I'm assuming, his mother? Yes. She has this look on her face. She looks confused, I guess? Surprised, maybe? I think they're standing in the airport, and she just looks uncomfortable. She doesn't look excited or happy like you would think she would be looking. Just really confused. And... That's my point of view as well. And the media that surrounded this case had noticed that Nicholas looked pretty different from when he went missing. Nicholas had straight blonde hair, blue eyes, and fair skin. But the new Nicholas that came home with Carrie had seemed to have, he seemed to have bleach blonde hair and dark brown eyes and fairly dark skin. And he'd grown super tall. Well, the hair color kind of makes sense. You know, as you get older, your hair color can change, but the eye color is something really inexplicable. Yeah, I completely agree. And during interviews with the FBI and the media, he had told everyone his eyes had been chemically altered with these drops that the abductors had placed in his eyes 
so that nobody would find him. So I know during the Holocaust, the Nazi had performed basically the same thing on a lot of experiments to try to create blue eyes, but all those led to blindness. And Nicholas, I'm assuming, wasn't blind? No, he was not. He also had a pretty distinct French accent as well, which he explained that because he had spent so many years in Europe that he had picked up the accent, which is funny enough because, Jamie, you spent three years in Europe, well, England, to be exact. Jamie, did you pick up a strange accent? Well, I think I can go get a spot of tea with the best of them. So the answer is no. You definitely did not pick up an accent. (laughs) The absolute is a resounding, oh, horribly no. Never try a fake accent again. Jamie, everyone has unsubscribed to this podcast. Yeah, and I don't blame them. (laughs) Honestly, same. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, the entirety of the UK. My bad. Well, okay, so for whatever reason, everyone kind of brushed us off, and the entire family especially. Nicholas was moved in to live with Carrie and her children. And he had tried to get back to normal. He'd enrolled in a local high school, and he'd really enjoyed going to class and hanging out with his cousins and their friends. But despite the fact that the family had accepted this was Nicholas, a lot of people were skeptical. A private investigator named Charlie Barker was called in by a production company that wanted to interview Nicholas Barclay and basically check the entire situation out. Well, yeah, if you're going to put all that money into making a movie or a TV show, you want to make sure that you're not getting swindled. Yeah, I agree. So Charlie had flown down to Texas to do some digging in a little interview. Charlie found his mother, Beverly, first, and she was not excited to see him. She had seemed really nervous that someone was looking into Nicholas, and she didn't want any media attention. Nicholas, on the other hand, was basically the exact opposite. See, Nicholas seemed to love all the attention he was getting, which was completely different from how he was acting when he was first picked up. I mean, I know kids can bounce back quick, but this seemed really fast. Well, you know, he's a private investigator, not a psychologist, so can we really trust his opinion on how Nicholas felt? I guess not, but I... Yeah, I guess it just seems like one of those things that, to me, it's just like one more thing in this whole entire web that is weird. It's odd. There is so much of this that is just weird. It's so weird that you can accept someone who has completely different hair color, completely different eyes, has an accent. I'm assuming he was a good deal taller than Nicholas was, which, you know, can be like a few of those things can be explained by age. But a few other things really can't be. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, during the interview, he had realized something wasn't right. He'd have to see a picture of Nicholas around the time he went missing, which was age 13, and he was trying to compare the two side by side, and things were just not lining up. The private investigator, Charlie Baker, remembered something. He remembered the Scotland Yard used ears to identify people. Have you ever heard of that, Jamie? I have heard about this case, and I do kind of remember the ear thing, but I'm not 100% sure exactly what it is. Do you have more information? Yes, I do. So I guess ears are similar to fingerprints. Not one ear is the exact same, and they're pretty much the same from when you're born until when you get older. Yeah, but you could basically ID somebody based on their ears alone. And that's exactly what Charlie did. 
He held up both photos side by side, looked at the left photo, and then looked at the right. And he noticed that those sets of ears were the exact opposite of each other. Completely different. And this, this boy wasn't Nicholas at all. He had taken the information to the FBI, and they had already had a ton of doubt whether or not the kid was Nicholas, but they were trying to be respectful of the family, and they didn't want to further devastate them. The FBI then called the family and had Nicholas sent over to a forensic doctor to analyze him. The doctor thought he was going to evaluate the trauma Nicholas had gone through, but almost immediately knew something was completely off about this kid. Between the hair, the eyes, the skin tone, and texture, he wasn't even a 16-year-old boy at all, let alone Nicholas Barclay. They concluded he wasn't Nicholas, but the FBI went to the family and asked Nicholas's mother for a DNA sample to once and for all rule out that it wasn't Nicholas at all. But his mother was extremely aggravated when they asked for the DNA, and she actually ended up laying herself on the floor and refused to give them a DNA sample. I feel like this is something that should have happened in Europe. Well, you, know, you find a kid, you have a sister right there before you give him a passport and send him all the way to America. Why wouldn't you do this there? Well, this is odd, and I can't even begin to unpack this one as far as why would you throw a temper transom and throw yourself on the floor? I don't know. It can be hard. You know, you ha- you finally got your baby back. You've been missing him for three years, not knowing what happened to him. And then when he does come back, all this horrible, horrific things happened. And then now they're trying to tell you that's not actually your kid? Well, they just I- said they wanted to double check. They didn't actually say, hey, this is not your son. It was, so the police have originally went up to her and had basically said, hey, you know, final checks, we just want to make sure that it's him, we need a DNA sample. And that's when she's, you know, got aggravated through a huge fit, laid herself on the floor. I just don't understand why wouldn't you want to do everything you could and possibly need to keep your son. But I also do understand that maybe she was just scared that they were going to take her son away. You know, it can be, like, that's a really emotional time, but it is... Like you were saying earlier, just another weird thing to add to the list. After the mother basically said she would refuse to give a DNA sample, the FBI went to the court systems and got a court order to test the boy's question's identity. They just wanted to see if his fingerprints or DNA would pull up anywhere. And guess what, Jamie? It did. (laughs) He definitely wasn't 16-year-old Nicholas Barclay. He was, in fact, Frederick Pierre Borden, a 23-year-old... French national. AKA where the accent came from. Yes, exactly. He ended up pleading guilty for passport fraud, saying he'd received the information from a missing child center. But during the trial, however, he had a couple things to say. Well, mostly contradictory statements. He claimed he met Nicholas in Spain and that he was still alive. Then he claimed that he had proof of his death. After this, he then claimed altogether that he'd never met Nicholas at all. Did he have any evidence to prove that he ever knew Nicholas at all? No, he didn't. And he later on said that he didn't ha- he didn't know him at all. So he just decided one day to wake up and completely destroy some family's faith in humanity? And he had a pretty bad criminal record as well. Treasure also had his own theory. I'm all ears what this proven liar has to say about this case. Frederick was just as baffled as everyone else when it came to the family still believing that he was Nicholas. 
Even after everything, when they basically went out and said that this guy's an imposter, the family stuck by him. You're kidding me. After they did a DNA test and proved that he was someone else? The family was totally convinced that this was their son, and there was nothing that anybody could do about it. Frederick then claimed that when he returned home, the only person he had yet to meet was his quote-unquote brother, Jason. He said that everybody else had given him endless hugs and seemed to be really convinced that he was who he said he was except for Jason. He said that when he came home to see me, he didn't look at me like Nicholas. He didn't pretend to look at me like Nicholas. He just said, good luck, and then left. This, to FBI, really shifted the view of the family from grieving to suspicious. This is the kind of stuff that always gets me when you're doing police work. Like, I can't pretend to understand how you choose which person is telling the truth and when, when, you have, when you're dealing with a proven criminal. You know, this is what happens with jailhouse confessions all the time. People who are proven criminals lie. They lie because they can. They lie to get things from the police officers. They lie for attention. They lie for time off or just to waste people's time. So I honestly don't, I can't imagine trying to be that person that has to decide this is the piece of information that's correct out of all of the lies. Yeah, I completely agree. He went on to say, they knew I was not Nicholas. They didn't believe a word that I said, but they were really good at not showing it. I remember in Spain, Carrie did everything for me. When I didn't know something, she told me. That's the house we used to live in. That's my daughter, your niece. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Over and over again. She wanted to put it in my head so I would never forget. She couldn't say that I wasn't her brother. Did she believe it or not? If you ask me, no. She did not believe for a second that I was her brother. She decided that I was going to be her brother. Well, all that could be wishful thinking. You know, that could just be her missing her brother so much and wanting him back that she's willing to excuse all this other stuff just so she can have her brother back. Is this a grieving family or is this something far worse? He had claimed that they killed him, and some of them did. Some of them knew about it, and some of them chose to ignore it. He was constantly worried that Nicholas would come home and his cover would be blown. After spending days with the family, he realized he didn't have to worry about that with anybody. Investigators had decided to watch the family, and they noticed that the phone calls with Jason that was made on, you know, September 1994 wasn't really uncommon. And police had explained that it's a tactic to sometimes convince people that someone was still alive. But before any large steps could be taken in the investigation, Jason was found dead from a drug overdose which some people believe was intentional. The case is completely cold now. Their prime suspect is dead. And there's not enough evidence to ever bring this to court. It's suspected that foul play was involved, but to this day, we still don't know the full story of what happened to Nicholas. And Jamie, we might never. It's one of those cases where everything can be explained away or everything can look extremely suspicious. It just depends on how you look at it. Yeah, I completely agree. And if you want to know more about the case, there's a documentary called The Imposter. It's streaming on like YouTube and Netflix, and it's actually told from Frederick's point of view. So it's definitely interesting, <laughs> to say the least. I think I've seen that, and it really was interesting. Guys, that's the end of Nicholas Barclay. But don't worry, because we'll be back next week with an all-new Cult episode. Yes, we will. And before we go, don't forget to like 
like us on Apple Podcast, and write a review. It really is a great way to let other people know about us, and maybe we'll get more followers, more viewers, and we can keep doing what we love, providing you guys with the best cases we can find that covers cults and crimes. Yes, exactly. And go on to our Instagram as well, Cults and Crime Pod, and follow us. Yeah, we try to keep you guys updated on the cases we're covering and give you a little bit more extra information and even glimpses into our own lives. Exactly. So we'll see you guys next week with an exciting cult. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Our intro music is Wrong by Dan Henning. Our background music is In Albany, New York by the 129ers.